Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Omaha North Principal Gene Haynes, the first African-American varsity head coach in Nebraska and 50-year veteran of Omaha Public Schools. We talked about growing up in the Jim Crow South, shuttling Johnny Rogers to high school practices, maintaining a cool head in times of crisis, and the project that's keeping him from retirement. And he told me, as a 13-year-old, if you want to be a success, you have to leave the state of Mississippi. If I did it this year, this time, uh, I'd probably be in jail. I gave him my car so he could take his date to the homecoming. I'd rather have him in here cursing me out than down at the TV station or either on the corner of 30th and Ames, you know, with the protest. I could be as bitter as hell, but I've learned we as a group need to work together. You can't fight each other. Let's work together as a team. This is where I come from. Now, I thought you were going to retire after 50 years in the district. And you just you you decided no, we're gonna we're gonna start the second the second fifty. This is number fifty one. No, this is fifty. I thought this was fifty one. No, this is fifty. This is fifty. Fifty, because I started in the fall of sixty seven, and this is seventeen. They they wrote a story. Gene, this is fifty one, because I did my math. I got math wrong. Oh man, I don't work the extra year. <laughs> this is the fifty first school year. From seventeen. To, from uh, 67, 67 to 19, I mean 2017. That's 50 years. Yeah. So this is the this is number 50. You're starting the 51st year. Okay, but I was accept that then. Okay. How long <laughs> are you gonna go? Well, it's, <clears throat> as long as my health stays good. Yeah. And I feel that, you know, I've done all I can do, and uh, then I would just. Right off in the sunset. You had a little bit of a scare back in May, right? Yes. What happened? Well, I had a, uh, a case of vertigo, and I didn't know what, you know, what to happen. I started getting a little dizzy, and then uh, I got dehydrated, and it just kind of went downhill from there. And I didn't feel that I could drive myself home or to the hospital. And my wife has been retired for eight and a half years. She didn't feel that she could <laughs> could stand driving me to the hospital. So she said, well, call the rescue squad. So, uh, and everybody made a big fuss of it. It made a big fuss that Gene Haynes had a heart attack and he got rushed out in the ambulance to, uh, to the hospital. But when they tested everything out, it turned out that I had vertigo. Everything okay? Everything is okay. You became the head basketball coach at Omaha Tech two weeks after the game of the century between Nebraska and Oklahoma. I was looking that up last night. You were 27 years old. You'd been an assistant coach for four years at Tech. Yes. You'd coach guys like Johnny Rogers. Yes. Uh, and Fred Longacre, who was the head basketball coach at Tech, yes. he quits. Fred had some health issues. He kind of wanted to get that under under control and uh, so two days before we played Westside uh, 
I got called into the office and said that I was going to be, you know, the head basketball coach of Tech High School. We had the likes of Westside one night and Creighton Prep the next night. Dominant powers in the Metro. <laughs> well, what were your emotions in that moment? Well, my thing was, if I was a JV coach prior to, and then I had to find an assistant coach. And a priority was to take, you know, the former assistant coach, Johnny Morris, a great friend of mine. And I went to Johnny and I asked Johnny, would he be, will he come back? Because that was the year that he stepped out of coaching basketball at Tech. And I took his spot as a JV coach with Fred Longacre. And so they have some continuity there. It's somebody that you knew and you trusted. And but that doesn't get into your emotions. What were your emotions in that moment? Because you, you're being asked to be the first black head coach in the state of Nebraska, which may or may not have meant something to you. Uh, and you're 27 years old. I imagine the youngest coach in the Metro. Yes. And you're just thrown into this thing. What, it, what, what was going through your body at that time? Well, I guess I was so young, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't matter. But I, I tell you, uh, the, the big thing I was, uh, you know, worried about is being able to meet the needs of the kids because the expectations of Tech High School athletics were so high. And, you know, you didn't have time to think about uh, your personal effect. And you wanted to be a coach and when that opportunity presented itself, you know, you uh, you took it and you moved on and uh, tried to do the best you could. How did you do against the West Side and Creighton Prep that weekend? We got beat. You got beat. We got beat. But the kids played hard. And, uh, you know, rookie coach coming in and going against uh, uh, Tom Hall. I think that was Tom Hall's second year okay. as the head coach at Westside. So he was young, He too. was young. And then Brother Wilmot was young. Okay, I think that was his second year as the coach. So you had a, a, a newbie going against, you know, first-year coaches and, you know, that had a great reputation across the state in the, uh, in the city of Omaha. And we were great friends. And it was not one of those things that you were trying to show each other up. Side note, Gene Haynes coached in four boys' state tournaments at Omaha Tech. The last three came in Class A. The first one was in Class B, where Omaha Tech made the state championship game in 75, losing to Crete in the final. I want to go back, all the way back to the start. Um, you're from a little town, little town in Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, should we should we say Preston or should we say Golston or Golston, should we Mississippi? That okay, was where, well, that was my uh, that was your route, address. That was my uh, address, route uh, route one box twelve. Okay. Were you were you from the country? Yeah, country. Yeah, May a man they come at nine fifteen every morning. Really? <laughs> except Saturday, except Sunday. <laughs> yeah, lived in the country. Uh, my dad was a farmer. Born during the war, you were born during the war. Born during the war, 1944. Yeah, and uh, mother had a eighth grade education. My dad had a sixth grade education. And, and your dad was a sharecropper. He was a sharecropper, farmer, and he taught us some great things. 
And everybody in that community was related, hmm. okay? My grandfather, my grandmother, and all of my uh, siblings or my, my mother's siblings. You know, we all lived in the same little community, went to the same church on Sunday, and uh, it was hard to get away with anything because if you did anything <laughs> bad, guess what? <laughs> they took care of it. Some, somebody else turned you in. Somebody else turned me in. <laughs> And no, they didn't turn me in. They took care of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, those type of things. But I tell you what, uh, by growing up in that community, you knew everybody and things was great. And would you believe it, Dirk, as a first and second grader, the classroom teachers lived in the city of Meridian, Mississippi, and they would stay in our house. Really? Yeah, with us. Uh, Sunday evening until Friday. And we would all walk to school together. You walked to school with your teachers? Yes. How far away was school? School was probably three, two and a half or three miles away. Really? Yeah, and we would uh, cut across the field if it was, uh, nice weather and if it was rainy weather or muddy weather we would uh, have to go the go the uh, dirt roads because huh. you didn't want to get yourself muddy you know going and the, the teachers would make us carry their book bags and, you know if I was given a test <laughs> if I was smart back then I would be probably uh, thumbing through it and stealing some of the answers to the test. <laughs> <laughs> but you couldn't do that because they was right there with you. And uh, we all walked to school. Uh, and I remember I was a second grader. The We would have to build our own fires in the school. Really? To keep warm. They had that pot belly stove. And uh, by having that, you know, we got a little lazy. Some of the older guys got a little lazy and they didn't clean it out at, at night and put all of the fire out. The school caught on fire. So the gentleman that we were living with and the sharecropper, that was an open space house. And he made that available for us to continue our schooling. Are you sure you didn't do it just so you could uh, didn't have to walk so far to school? Probably, yeah, because <laughs> it was... It was uh, not across the field, but it was uh, across the pasture, uh, probably a what, quarter of a mile, if it was that far. You were the youngest of what, four, four brothers? Boy, four brothers. 1939 was my oldest brother who was born, okay, and 1941, and then 1943 was my uh, third brother, and I was the full, fourth one. Did you, did you, uh, did they toughen you up? Yeah, uh, my third brother was kind of the one that, um, you know, picked on me a lot, I guess you would say. But my older brother, you know, he was a little bit smaller and, you know, he was a, a man of few words. He just told you what he thought and then that was it. You, no question asked because he was a ship off my old man's block, you know. My Your old, old man was quiet too. Uh, quiet, but he uh, meant what he said and... You know, he said what he thought, <laughs> and my father was about 6'6", six, six, and he was about 280, 
Really? Yeah. And he could have been a professional baseball player, but, you know, the timing just wasn't right. And uh, so he's a pretty good athlete himself. Yeah. How'd you get into sports? Well, by him, because every Saturday afternoon in the country, they would have a baseball tournament, a baseball game. And we would go and look at to go and see that. Really? And we thought that was a thing that happened. We'd go into the pasture and have, uh, you know, a community outing. Uh, surrounding communities would come and uh, play. They would play two games. Uh, it was the whole thing to do on Saturday afternoon, brother oh, wow. man. Uh, they had uh, a concession stand, fish fry per se, a black pot. They cooked fish and sold fish sandwiches and barbecue and you just name it. And uh, those are the things that happened. And it was uh, made up of uh, relatives and community people. The team was. And uh, they traveled. And uh, we never did get to travel. Uh, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a great experience. And that's what got me into uh, athletics. So baseball was your hook? No, baseball. I never did play baseball. Okay. Never did play baseball in high school. Uh, because now, now in high school they didn't have baseball in uh, the little community, the high school that I attended. They had football, basketball, and no track. Huh. Okay, and so as a third grader, that's when they was trying to appease people of color and you would build a school. So they built a black school, kid for the colored kids. Okay, and we were bust. Then, okay, so this was 1953, okay, and so uh, we moved to Preston because that's where they built the high school because that was a community, and I want to say it was probably uh, 80 kids in the school, grade. Not, not, uh, not very big. Not very big. It was uh, 80 kids, grade. Um, uh, first through 12th, and I think the senior class, graduating senior class that year, must have been 54, was uh, three kids. Really? Yeah, three kids. And But they had great basketball. And then in 1960, again, that was a, that was a, a move to appease the people of color, and they built a high school in Keppel County, which was the county seat. And all the little community schools that was in that, that they built in 53, 51, 52, and then in 53, those kids boarded a bus and rode to the city. That was 1959 and 60 because my second brother graduated in 60 and I graduated in 63. And then that was the turning point, me as a ninth grader, to get involved in athletics more and were you good well I wasn't good but I was pretty good little pretty good athlete uh, I thought I was better than I was but uh, football and basketball uh, football and basketball and my assistant football coach uh, informed me and he was my science teacher he informed me that you could stick with this and this could be something that you could follow through, you know, the rest of your life. So he was very instrumental in keeping me involved in sports. 
and my high school principal saw to that. And then my basketball coach, uh, Mr. Shields, uh, did a great job with, you know, preparing us, you know, for it. And each week, Philadelphia, Mississippi, Carthage, Mississippi, Kosciuszko, Mississippi, Meridian, Mississippi, uh, what else during the basketball season would host a tournament. And so you had boys and girls, you know, basketball tournaments, and that was started nine o'clock in the morning. Sometimes we didn't get back home until six or seven o'clock in the evening. Okay, and back in those days, boys rode one bus and girls rode another. They kept us separated. And they were smart. Yeah, they were smart. <laughs> they wanted us to be focused on, on the game, not the girls. And would you believe it? Back in those days, we played the Iowa style, three on three. The boys did too? No, just the, just girls, the girls played three on three. And then they kind of moved it up because then they had a rover. Two could go over, and the other three would have to stay back. So, um, you you had a you had an important person in your life who has a very interesting name. His name was Vardaman Van Delder. Yes. <laughs> Say it again. Vardaman Van Delder. That's that's a creative name. Yeah. Talk about his influence. Well. On Saturdays, when I got to high school, I uh, started working for him. On Saturdays, get earned a little money, and I think it was something like uh, uh, started with two dollars a day, and I think the last time I worked for him, I got something like eight dollars a day. Eight dollars a day. Eight dollars a day, and uh, he was a farmer. He was a dairy farmer. This is a white, a white, white guy, white man, white man. Okay, and he taught me the life of what Mississippi was all about. He was great friends with my family on my mother's side, and so he just kind of took, took, you know, us by the hand and showed us the things to do. And he told me, as a 13-year-old, and he called me, my whole name, Gene Robert Haynes. I was named after my grandfather. <laughs> he says, if you want to be a success in this lifetime, you have to leave the state of Mississippi as a 13-year-old. And because he was one of those liberal white guys, okay, you know, he associated with the people in the community, the white people in the community, but he did not, you know, what you call it, bush it around with them. <laughs> you know, he told them just like it was. He called a spade a spade, you know. And sometimes they didn't like him because he just told the truth. Gene, Go ahead. what did you think at 13 years old? Mississippi's all you've ever known. Kemper County's all you've ever known. What are you, what are you thinking when this, when this man tells you to make it, you have to leave Mississippi? Well... I was thinking that he was trying to prepare me for life. To were you were you were you surprised by that? That, uh, that would be a little bit scary to me. I think. Well, it could have been scary, but living in the Jim Crow South at that time, and when a white guy shared this with you. 
Okay, he knows, and this gentleman is 50 years old, he knows what life is about. And I just took him as his word, and his wife was just as, as uh, graceful as he was because she knew that there was some injustice, you know, that was going on and those type of things because of, you know, how people was treated in, in Jim Crow South. What role did race play in your childhood? Like, did you... Because, you know, it's you're going to segregated schools. Um, your school is, is an all-black school until all through high school, right? All through high school. All through high school. And I'd never gone to the school with a white person until I started taking graduate courses at UNO. <laughs> and I, that was in the... Because you went uh, to a black college, All-black college, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. Okay. <laughs> but did you... What role did race play? Did you did you understand what was going on around you? I mean, this is like the heart of the civil rights movement. Yeah, that uh, was Bra- Brown, Brown versus Board is in the mid fifties, and you've got you know Rosa Parks is in the late fifties, and you've got you know when you're when, when you're twenty years old, the summer after you graduate, a year after you graduate high school in Philadelphia, Mississippi. 29 miles down the road from where you grew up, these three freedom riders are killed or murdered. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like, this is all swirling around you. How aware of you were, how aware of it were you? Yeah. Well, at 13, you know, you could see some bits and pieces of it and you could hear this because I remember as I would walk through that house and my parents would be talking, or either people in the neighborhood would be talking, you know, the grown folks talking, per se. And they would be talking about, you know, issues that's happening. And then when kids would go through, they would be quiet because they didn't want the kids to know that. They kind of kept us sheltered. And uh, I, I tell you, Dirk, uh, how this, I didn't see so much of this to be a reality until I was, what, 16 and 17 years old, okay? Uh, We just thought that that was the norm Mm -hmm. by going to school. And when I got to high school, I would get a bus, pick me up. Next door to me was a white family. Five minutes after I get on the bus, or two minutes or three minutes after I get on the bus or she would get on the bus, a bus would come pick me up and take me to school. A different bus. A different bus. Okay, so you knew that there was some some racial equalities and things that was happening, but you made the best of it. That's what our parents taught us, is you make the best of a bad situation and um, you move forward. And pretty much they were saying, you carry light loads, but go regular. You carry light loads? Light loads, but go regular. You can't carry it all at once. They didn't want us to get overwhelmed with it. Okay, that's the uh, meaning of that saying. Is uh, and so that was what's what how that played out. But I could see this happening when I was a junior in high school, and that was 1962, the fall of '62. That's when Jane Meredith and an Ole Miss. And you're talking about facing realities in some scary moments. That was a scary moment for me because 
that was people that racial hatred, some some acts that was committed, cross burnings, houses being bombed, churches being blown up, and those type of things. And so, you know, you was kind of taken aback, but you always kind of kept focused on what was happening and how. But that morning, when the bus picked me up to go to school, every intersection that was state, not state troopers, but National Guard people. Even down in your little county? Even down in my county because they wanted to make sure that we got safe, got the school safe. Wow. That's what they was there for, is to make sure that there was no harassment because that was a racial group that didn't want us to get an education, okay? That was the, the motive, and they felt that a little learning was a dangerous thing, okay? And so they kept some of those things uh, away from us, even with the textbooks. We didn't get new textbooks. We always got textbooks that was hand down, handed down to us from the white school, okay? And so that was in 1962. Then I graduated in 63, and that was the year of the uh, March on Washington, Martin Luther King era, Rosa Parks, go back eight years ago. Prior to that was the uh, Montgomery City and, and those type of things. And so, Do you remember Emmett Till's murder? Yes. How, how old was you then? Okay, nine, ten, maybe eleven. What do you remember 15? about that? Well, I remember my parents talking about it. And, uh, you know, there was so many different stories, you know, that was sur swirling around because of that. And I remember these, it was said that he had uh, made a comment, a whistle to a white girl, and people thought that he was, you know, trying to, you know, be, friend, you know, be friendly with her and coming from Chicago. Uh, they wanted to teach him a lesson, and so what? Several days later, they found them uh, floating in the, what, the Tallahassee River, and uh, so uh, people talked about that. Uh, did your parents? Did they teach you what to do and not to do to avoid situations? Yes. What did they tell you? Well, stay in your place. That was, you know. They were firm, but they were fair. And uh, they did not want to go into much details. They just told you how life was be. And they said, if you go to the store, you go downtown or go to town, stay in your place, you know, you uh, be courteous and speak when you're spoken to. Don't, and that came out about after the Emmett Till murder. Is uh, you don't you don't start the conversation if they started, then you you know acknowledge it and you know move on. How did you handle that? Well, uh, I think uh, I think I handled it pretty good because I didn't want to make any waves. And when I started driving. Probably 17 years old, my dad's car, and you would go to the uh, store, you get gas, and you pay for it, and 
you know, you move on. Don't start no, no conversations and, and those type of things. If you was asked something, you gave them what you knew about it, and that was it. Mm. Mm-hmm. You were re- you were recommended uh, to to Rust College in Holly Springs, Mississippi, which is way up north near Memphis. Yes. Um, you had a teacher who, uh, one of your football coaches, who suggested that, right? Yes. Did you have black teachers or white teachers in high school? Yeah. All black. All black teachers. Yeah. And th- this gentleman had gone to Rust, right? Yes. What was that experience like for you? It was different, but I felt it was a step up, you know, from what you've come, you know, and that was a gentleman that I, you know, had referred to you earlier about my assistant football coach, Shellage Vaughn Jackson. That was his name. He was a science teacher. And when he was a kid growing up, he did not go to school in the Kemper County area. He went to school in Weston County. Okay, which was a step up because his parents wanted him to do better in life. And uh, so he wanted to provide that opportunity for me and everybody else that he came in contact with. So when I graduated from high school in May, March, April, 1963, I came to Omaha. Because your brothers were up here. My brothers was here. They worked at the packing house. You had family up here. I had family here. My three brothers was living in Omaha, and a bunch of cousins was living here. And I came here with the intentions of getting a summer job and then going back and go to school. And which, when the summer was over, I went back, and I kept that, you know, in the back of my mind, that dream of mine. Uh, alive and went back to school and Shelly Vaughn came to my house that Saturday morning picked me up took me to Philadelphia one of the other teachers there had gone to Russ College you competed in you competed in athletics. Yes, at Russ College. Football and basketball. Uh, well, they cut out ba- uh, football, my sophomore year, and I stayed with track and basketball. I never did letter in basketball. I lettered in track, and I am current currently proud to say that in 1966. Gulf Coast Athletic Conference champ in the shot put, 46.6 inches. You were? Yeah. Nice work. Yeah. So that's my claim to fame at <laughs> Russ College in athletics. And uh, But I go back and think about all of the great people that I met while I was at Russ College. And, uh, of course, my wife. Yeah, you met your wife. I met my wife there, and I got a great education. So those are some great things that happened, you know, to me at Russ. And Mr. Lawson, uh, he was from Kentucky, and he was a boys' track coach, and he was the uh, boys' basketball coach, okay, while I was at Rust. And 
he kind of uh, took me under his wings and taught me more about the game of basketball because I served as his uh, office assistant and also uh, I was on the kind of the freshman team as a freshman and uh, he just really took me under his wings and showed me the uh, finer points of the game and those type of things and I admired him. There's three people that I would say in high school, my high school principal, Shelly Vaughn Jackson, my science teacher, and Mr. Lawson, my physics teacher at Rust, and my track coach and basketball coach. And each time while those three men was alive, and I go to Mississippi, I'd make sure I went by and talked with them. And even when I got to be principal, Mr. Stewart was still alive, and he passed two years ago. And I would go by and just kind of pick him about things, about administration and those type of things. And he would just say, uh, Haynes, Sonny, that's what he called me in high school, Haynes, Sonny, you just have to be patient with these things. You can't make it all happen at once. And then I could kind of equate that to my career as an administrator because in the years that they consolidated the schools and they desegregated the schools in Mississippi, he was passed over mm. as the principal. And he'd been the principal of that school since 1957. And so he uh, went through that and I just asked him how, how do you handle those things because when Tom Harvey left North High School I did not get the position until four years later and you know it was not something that I lost in the sleepover but you know you thought about it and uh, uh, I think my wife uh, agonized over it more than me yeah. and so she uh, Wanted to talk to John McKeel for a couple of times and want to know why Jean ain't, why my husband Jean didn't get the job. You know, she was more animated than I was. So I just said, sweetheart, just be patient. It will happen. Um, why did you choose education? <laughs> well, growing up, I had two choices be a farmer, okay? Uh, either go to school and I saw the life of a farmer uh, you know uh, was not what I wanted to do and I thought education would be the be the thing to do you didn't want to be like your, you didn't want to do what your dad did no I did not want to be the things my dad did nor did I want to be uh, you know factor worker Why? the rest of my life well because I did not see me in that role because I wanted to help people, because somebody helped me. And I felt that I needed to do what? Go back and do some of those things. And going into education, uh, I wanted to make a difference in the lives of some people. Kids, mostly, uh, because I felt that that was my call, is to do those things. Omaha Public Schools uh, was not doing a very good job hiring black teachers in the early 60s. Um, 
and you graduated college in the what 1967 67 yeah uh, and for whatever reason they recruited historically black colleges for teachers right yeah why did they do that well my impression of that was that a lot of people of color left Omaha California Colorado uh, other places uh, Washington DC area and they never came back okay and there was a growth and the black population in the school district at that time and they needed to have someone that the young people could go to okay you had your the likes of the late Eugene Skinner Bob Rose uh, Clarence Barbie Warren Taylor uh, that was just a few of the males then you had Catherine Fletcher okay you had the likes of um, Katie Daly on the female side and then you had the likes of Juanita Moore and many many others uh, but that was a need to have that african-american role model so in other words Omaha wasn't keeping their own so they had to bring they had to bring black teachers in people in from outside of the uh, out, out of state yes and you were hired by tech I was hired uh, to teach at tech to teach what history 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 at tech and uh, what was that what you walk in in 1967 yes what was it like well number one is pretty pretty, uh, pretty strained times in North Omaha yes well the bottom line is is uh, there was three African-American males in high school in secondary education the late Tom Harvey myself and Barney Brown Tom Harvey was from Grambling College Barney Brown was from Peru State College in, in all of OPS or at Tech uh, the year that we were hired okay. we were the only three black males there at the introduction okay. uh, the orientation so you're the for only new three teachers. new teachers only male three. three black males okay yeah Tom Harvey myself and Bernie Brown was those guys and that was at 39th and Davenport and that's when I got my assignment and I was told that I would be going to tech high school and I you know had known about tech because when I would come here during the summer you know a lot of friends yeah. that had gone to tech and I thought that was and to the, today uh, it was a great great move I met a lot of great fan uh, friends and I think I did not fear you know the teaching aspect but I we as people of color that moved into Omaha we were not very well received by the native Omahans of color. Oh, really? Right. Why? Well, because they felt that we were taking their jobs. Uh, either they felt that, you know, that it was uh, kind of a, a buyout or something of that nature. Where did you sense that that resistance? Well, when I would go to eat, uh, either be out in the streets and about, you know, you would get that. Uh, People would say, hey, he's not from here. Yeah, right. Yeah, you would get that. Do you have a Johnny Rogers story? Yeah. So he's a senior in high school. Junior. 
junior, yeah. your first year at Tech. Yeah. And you're an assistant football coach, right? Yes. What, what do you remember? Well, I remember Johnny was a, uh, a great athlete, and you had to stay on him to get him to, you know, finish it. He was not one of those practice players. He didn't like to practice, but he, you know, in game time, you know, he put his game face on. But I would say this, the unique stuff about Johnny, he was always up front. And a kid with that type of a potential, easily they kind of stray off. But I think about how he respected the late Dick Christie. John Crookham, his track coach, and even Miss Margaret Ballridge, his English teacher. You know, she did not cut him in any slack. Now, John Morris was his uh, history teacher and his baseball coach. And, you know, he was just, you know, that, you know, had he surrounded himself with some good people and he listened to, you know, those people. And I was, in the spring of the year, I did not do any coaching, Dirk. Okay, I was the designated driver for Johnny Rogers because he was a, during season, he was a two-sport athlete. See, he, baseball player, and he ran track. Same season. Same season. Spring of 68. Spring of 68 and 69. Okay, and so he would go to the baseball field, I think at Adams Park, was the, the Tech High home field, and I would have to pick him up to take him to the various track meets, <laughs> okay, to make sure he got there, and uh, those things, and compete, and we got to know each other very well, and, you know, he says, uh, Gene, that's what he called me, he didn't call me coach, he said Gene, because it was six you're, years. Yeah, I was going to say, you're about five years apart. <laughs> five years apart, he said, well, Gene, I'm going to do this today, and I said, well, if you do, I will do this for you, and Johnny's senior year uh, for homecoming, uh, I probably did it, if I did it this year, this time, uh, I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> I gave him my car so he could take his date to the homecoming. Really? Yeah. And uh, so ever since then, you know, we've, you know, had that relationship. And when we were playing in the state finals in 1975 in basketball at the Coliseum, Johnny was playing in Canada. He came back and it was at the game. Really? Yes. So he loved it some tech high school and those type of things. And... Johnny had a daughter just graduated from here three years ago. And he said, because of my relationship with you, Haynes, my daughter is coming to North. She's an engineering student. Wow. Yeah. And that project that's behind us there, she developed that project, the layout for our stadium to be built at North High School. Mr. Haynes is pointing to an artist's rendering of a high school football stadium behind North High that does not yet exist. We'll come back to that at the end of the show. When you're walking around town in 1968, are you bumping into Ron Boone and Bob Boozer and Gail Sayers and uh, Bob Gibson? Bob Gibson. Yeah. I mean, My... it, was, it was an incredible time for for local sports. Yes. 
And I always felt that those are some key cornerstones for the success of Omaha as far as athletics. And I've always tried to involve them in you know, the program. Uh, Bob Gibson's nephew played basketball for me at Tech High, Victor Jordan. Really? Yeah, and he came and spoke at a, when Victor was a senior. Okay, he came and spoke at a athletic banquet. Uh, Bob uh, Boozer has been very key to, you know, the success of North High School because I would always tell young people about Bob Boozer at the time. Bob Boozer was the only native Nebraska to have a uh, gold medal from the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And that meant something because kids didn't know that. Yeah, 1960. 1960. And I says, you know, Bob graduated in uh, 59. And at the time, correct me if I'm wrong, they did not allow professionals to play in the Olympics. Yeah, so he waited a year. He waited a year. He played semi-pro and... Graduated from college in K-State K K State. in 59 yeah, and, and, and sat out a year before yeah, the draft. Before the draft and the Olympics because he wanted to be an Olympian. And I think he played for the Peoria Calipillas. I think that's right. Yeah. And so with that being said, you know, you, you always, you know, try to incorporate those great athletes and it's just not the tech grads since I got to North High School you know I reached out and looked at Roger Sayers of course Dick Davis Bob Churches uh, Dan Wharton and that the list keep going on and on South High School Benson High School you talk about it Archie Gray, you you talk about Leo Crawford from Northwest High School, uh, of course John C. Johnson at Central High School, you know, and that Gene, era. who was the best athlete who never made it, in your opinion? You saw all of them for decades. Who was the best one who who people never got to see at a college or professional level? Um. Uh, to be a, I would say Johnny Nair mm -hmm. from Central High School. Yeah, basketball player. Basketball player. I'd say Johnny Nair uh, did not get the chance that some of the other kids did. And uh, for whatever reason it was, you know, I couldn't say what because that was before my time. But Johnny always was involved in activities and athletics in the city of Omaha, like Bryant Center and, and those type of things. I think, you know, that was probably, you know, the one that stands out the most. You have an, you have an 11 o'clock appointment. I don't know what that appointment is. Today? Yes. I'm supposed to go to uh, John C. Johnson's mother's funeral. Okay. John C. Johnson, uh, uh, niece as my son's wife. Really? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Yeah. John C. Johnson's sister uh, has a daughter, Aaron Abernathy, and my son went to school here at North High School, and uh, they got married. Uh, they both went to 
she went to Storm Lake for two years, and then she transferred to Wyoming with Jarrell. Huh. And they got married, and now they have two boys. Uh, Caleb, Where, where's their family at? Uh, they live in uh, Chad, Chadworth, California. California. Yeah. Okay. And so um, uh, Caleb and Jacob. So you're, uh, so you're getting out of plane as much as you can? I try to get out there and, and uh, see them and spoil them and leave them. Yeah. Uh, they in town, and my wife and I had the chance to meet them at the family hour last night. And oh, good. Yeah, and so they you know came in and they were to see Paul Paul. When I walked into the church last night, they looked up. That's Paul Paul, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just waving. Up, you know, and I didn't want to intrude because we took a seat, you know, back, and then at the end we got the chance to talk and. They came up and they hugged us and all like that. So, um, so that's that's twelve o'clock. Because uh, I'll be leaving about eleven thirty. Hopefully, get down to. Uh, okay, so you got after. a little more time. Yeah, I got time. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, if you keep asking all these questions, man. The, the, <laughs> I, I don't mean this to sound cliche, but but the 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 social unrest of that period, especially looking back now was very notable mm-hmm. uh, in Omaha. How did that influence you? I mean, you had a different perspective than most people who lived here because you you know, you know, came from Mississippi where it was even more pronounced. Yeah. How, well, what, what, what did you think of what was happening in the late 60s in, in, in Omaha, early 70s in Omaha? Yeah. Well, I, I think... It was lack of understanding, you know, the philosophy of people, and then people was kind of impatient, and they wanted things, you know, too soon. A lack of understanding from like, whom? Lack of understanding about why things was the way they were, and you know. And I learned one heck of a lot during that time because we in Omaha had a very unique person. And I wish you'd have been able to meet this, have met this individual. Charlie Washington, 25th and Erskine. He lived in the old house Bob Boozy used to own. Charlie had a pulse on everything that was going on in the community, but he could only do so much. And you learn so much from him because he was that glue, or either he was the mayor of Northeast Omaha, <laughs> per se. And I, I think the bottom line is, as a history teacher at Tech High School, uh, young people was uh, fed up and they wanted some changes, but you have to be able to understand how you make change. You know, you can't be too aggressive to get change, but you can't be too laid back because sometimes people take advantage of you if you're laid back. You know, if you want something, ask for it. You ask for it, you don't get it. Find a different way to ask for it. Give me an example, Gene, because, you know, this is, this is, that was the issue of your time is how how do you how do you resist how do you respond to injustice and in some ways it's still the issue 
what was your what was your philosophy and can you give me an example well I figured out a long time ago you can't fight City Hall work with them ask for things and then like I said if they if you don't receive it find another way to ask for it okay and you can't fight fire with fire because if you tell me I can't have it I'm not gonna go you know terrorize your business or those type of things and so that's that's the wrong way to to fix what need to be that need to be that dialogue and I guess people in Omaha at that time because they had felt that they was fed up because things was moving too slow sometimes things can move too fast and even in today's society there are some things that need to be fixed but you have to approach it in the right right uh, frame of mind you know to get those things done and in the in this building every parent love their child but there come a time that you have to have rules and regulations and you have to stick to it okay and some parents come into this office they probably had a bad experience in school then they come in and if I use that old tactic that they used 25 or 30 years ago we're not gonna get any place what tactic Okay, not hearing what parents are saying. You know, not parents feel that their side of the story is never heard. So that's not how I like to do things during my tenure as the building principal is I want to give parents that opportunity that they can come to school anytime and talk to me. You know, whatever's on my schedule, if a parent shows up, I have to adjust my schedule and I want to meet them and they can share it. I'd rather have them in here cursing me out than down at the TV station or either on the corner of 30th and Ames, you know, with the protest, or either 36th and Ames, you know, with the protest. So that has changed because in the late 60s and early 70s, that did not exist. In our school district, there was no way. There was no way to express their your grievances. Their grievances at the at the building level because they felt shut out. Because you know as well as I know, in sixty eighty seven. That was a fence around this building. 87? 1987. Yeah. The football field. That was a fence all the way around this, this facilities. And one thing that Lom says, if we want to change the perception of North High School, that fence has to come down. See, all the schools had a fence around them. Every Omaha public school has a fence around them. And that means they wanted to try to be in control of who's coming in and what and those type of things and uh, now it's open parents feel that they can come in and voice their grievance with the principal and we can reach reach a conclusion and 
I always have made myself available. And I'm not an office person. If kids are in the building, I have to be out there where those kids are as they are going to and from class. I have to be at their activities, whether it's athletics or math contests, because if I have a marching band is performing at an event, I'm gonna go and support those kids. Are you are you still going out to the corner after school every day? Yes, sir. What what tell me your routine? My routine is I took the I think I took the hottest corner on the school. Heat wise with the sun. Because this, this north yeah, northeast northeast corner out here because that's the neighborhood. If anybody's coming at the North High School, those are the houses and they will come right across the street. So I go out there uh, if if every day at I'm the, in the building. The, the at, final bell? At, yeah, at dismissal. I stand out here, the kids are going out the front, then I make my way down to 36 and Ames up here by the music wing. That entrance, and I can, can, I can see the parking lot and I can see who's coming up or whatever those cases might be. Why do you do that? Well, you need to be there where kids are. You need to be there with parents. You know, when parents are coming to pick up that kid, we in administration, we are that ultimate public relations person. Now, in the morning, if it's not bristling cold, I'm outside. This whole fall season, you know, I'm outside helping direct traffic. Mm-hmm. Parents come in to drop the kids off. You know, parents want to see the principal. And you go and you help direct traffic, get people in, because as they see you out there, they know you are genuine, you have a pulse on what the heck is going on. And nothing wrong with the wave, thumbs up for parents as they come in, and they enjoy that. And we, as administrators, need to do more and more of that. Gene, can you contrast Compare and contrast, I guess, um, the social unrest that you've seen in the last two to three years, both in sports and outside of sports. I mean, you know, last fall, three Nebraska football players take a knee during the national anthem, and it becomes, you know, it's a big story. Um, on the on the streets of, you know, a lot of American cities. That, Things are things are boiling again. Yeah. What do you tell people now, based on your experience, you know, about what's happening now and how people should respond to it? Mm-hmm. When, when when a senior in high school comes up to you and says, "This Colin Kaepernick situation, Mr. Haynes, what do you think? What do you think of this?" Well, I think I have to share with that person that asked me that question you got to get all of the facts of why he's doing it okay and you know dirt from the time of I came onto this earth until now I could be as bitter as hell but I've learned that we as a group need to work together you can't fight each other Let's work together as a team. And I try to put, you know, present this to my students. When they come and ask me things, I try to share with them my opinion 
and how you can do things a lot better as we go through. And But you can't, just because you are the leader of the school, you can't say it's going to be my way or the highway. We need to work together as a team to get those things resolved. And I provide the students that opportunity to do that. If there's issues about school, when we talk from a kid's standpoint, we meet twice a month at breakfast with the leaders of the school to share of that, the things that affected them the most. You've, uh, you've calmed down a little bit over the years, right? Yeah. I, I think I've heard you say that, that you used to be a little more fiery. Yes. When? Well, you go back to my coaching days. I was kind of a screamer. You were? Yeah, I was a screamer. I have a hard time believing that. Yes, uh, I was a screamer. and But, you know, you, you learn as you go through life. Uh, and you get those things. And you're going to hear some of these things that I'm going to say. And you say, what the hell is this guy talking about? Okay, you'll catch more bees with honey than you will a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you learn those things and be calm about it. And you learn how to communicate with the young people that you are asking to do. Now, how you do that is you be out and you see what those young people are doing. And it's difficult for me to give a a kid the third degree in the building and I don't see them on their own turf okay when I say that go to the activities I see them at their work okay I see them as they're going to and from school you know you, you, you speak with them you treat them with dignity and then you don't have that problem now I walk down the hall and especially when you're on your fifth generation of families you know, first and last name. I'm not going to get across the hall from if I'm trying to deal with the kid, if I'm going to front him or her off in front of their peers, okay? You touch him on the shoulder, that's inappropriate, and let's move on. Now, that's what you see in the hall. But you get the kid in here in your office, his peers are someplace else then you can read them the riot act, mm. okay, because they know that you're genuine and those type of things. And you try to give them an option on how you can better resolve the issue as opposed to, um, you know, just headbutting each other because yeah. you're not going to get any place. Do you miss coaching? No, because I'm doing it every day. <laughs> Do you, miss, do you miss coaching sports? Yes. Do you? Very much so. But uh, Why? When, when do you miss it? Well, when you have one of those frustrating days and you leave that and you go to coaching because you have a different – you have a smaller group and a different group that you're working with because, you know, they uh, they see the results of, of what happened when you work hard, and it's, it's, it's that part. But 
on a daily basis, I'm still coaching because I'm coaching kids uh, to do the right thing. It's not based on win and loss. It's based on how successful you can be in the classroom. Did it, did it hurt you personally when Tech closed? Well, yes. 1984. 1984. I wanted to stay a coach. And I was offered uh, an assistant position at several schools in OPS. And, you know, I declined it. And I says, you know, I've been a head coach, and I don't need to be, I don't want to be an assistant coach. Did you, you, know, ha so. did you ever have another opportunity to be a head coach? Uh, yeah. You did? Yeah. After a couple of years, and I says, I made a decision to go into administration, and I'm going to follow that lead now. I think Bryan High School came available uh, a couple basketball. years. Basketball. And at that time, I was at McMillan as assistant principal and athletic director. And I saw the handwriting on the wall, but you were dealing with a, a larger group of young people. And then I was there for one year and I came over here. And it sounded like I died and going to heaven. <laughs> Why? Hey, North High School. Dirk is the best school east of the Rockies and west of the Mississippi because we have some young people here and some staff in this building. I would not be afraid to put them up against any kids across this nation because of their competition. And what you look at is how far they go, okay, after they leave high school. And the bad thing about that is if they go off and go to college, and you and I said this early on in the conversation, they never come back to work in Omaha. They'll come back and visit relatives because they are so diverse and they get so much done. You know, it's kind of a, you know, a slap in the face to come back, you know, uh, to Omaha per se to get things done because, you know, young lady chose to go to University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, you know, 50 years ago, you know, that was not even on the radar. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then you look at University of Alabama, Huntsville, and various places, you know, you, you get people, you know, kids going and go to school there, and, and uh, it just really makes you, what? So doggone proud to see them, and then when they come back and they share with you, and I make a point of this, is to ask them, what is some of the things we can do better? We know that there's some challenges when it comes to uh, financial, okay? And we know there's some challenges with uh, outside of social ills of society. You just don't let that affect what you wish to do nor do you let it affect the kids that you're working with. And my wife is very understanding. She understands those, those things. And, you know, what do you call it? I guess Jean Haynes is kind of a workaholic. Is, but, she, is she as optimistic as you are? Is she as positive as you are? Yes, because I taught her. <laughs> <laughs> I taught her to be positive and be patient. Last thing. Yeah, go ahead, brother. <laughs> the, the football 
we, we can almost start to call it a dynasty here, I think. Did you think it was possible that Omaha North could do this in football? Well, I th- This hasn't I, happened in what? This has never happened at this school. This level of prolonged excellence. Did you think it did you, did you think it was possible? Yes, you always have to have those ideas out there and you try to surround yourself with great people and great kids. Your basic program is your academics. Provide those avenues for kids to have that success. We know that the academics is already established because you look at the kids that come into North High School, they're pretty academically sound, okay? And they just build on those successes. And when you build those things up, people are gonna be more apt to support it from a financial standpoint, okay? And when you talk about that, you look at the capital improvement of this school, is you know we're kind of doing some of the right things, but we cannot get complacent. We have to continue to build because the only game you want to win is the next one. Remember Johnny Rogers' daughter? Her senior year in an engineering program, she and a team put together an artist's rendering of a football stadium just south of the high school. Is it still coming? Yeah, still coming. Yeah, uh, next 12 to 18 months, we hope that we will have that that done, and we're looking at building on site because... You want it to be an anchor. Anchor, yes. For the community. For this community. And uh, it has taken some time to get this moving in the right direction because we had a hell of a lot of work to do before we even talk, talked about athletics and being in athletics all of my life and easily people by being an African-American they think that's all you think about is athletics and I wanted to change that perception because we wanted to do some things with North High School from the academic side first so that's why we put all this energy into you know the technology and the stems and those type of things because you know people could be a little uh, shrewd at times and say, hey, athletics is not the key. One more postscript. Remember Vardamir Van Delver, or however you say it? He was the guy who told Gene Haynes in 1957 that he'd have to leave Mississippi if he ever wanted to be a success in life. Well, he had a son, and that son had a daughter who was stationed at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha. A couple years back, Bartimer's son came to see Gene Haynes. Well, right up out here in the parking lot, parked. His daughter brought him in, and uh, he just says, I cannot believe it. Uh, evidently, my dad had a profound effect on you, and I'm so proud of you. And what I'm just saying now is the fact is that I wish he could be here to see you. And he would just just marvel at what he, you know, what you turned out to be. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. 
You can find our library of episodes at omaha.com slash podcast or your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. If you have feedback on this podcast or any others, please email me at Dirk Chattelain, oops, sorry, Dirk period Chattelain at owh.com. <laughs>